When Christians read the Bible, the understandable focus is almost always on the nice parts. The problem is that there are parts of the Bible that aren't so nice. And those parts are starting to get a lot more attention. Seemingly strange commands condemning tattoos? Verses that seem to endorse slavery? How about the verses telling women they should submit and remain silent and can't say anything in church? What do we do with all the verses that make it feel like you're being forced to choose between the Bible and science? How do we make sense of all this? Because it's all there in the Bible. Well, good morning. So thankful to be with you. And I also want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers uh, that are here in the room or online with us in the tent. But also, I want to expand it a bit. I want to expand it to us to thinking about our own mothers. I know my mom's been gone for over 20 years, but she's still such an influence and a part of my life. And also other women in your life that maybe have influenced you. So men, you can think about this too. Who's influenced you? And then even the young girls that may be in the, in the room. Well, I just want to expand this to all of the females because today we have a special topic for you. It is, we're in this series about how not to read the Bible and how there's so many things in the Bible that we're confused about that seem a certain way, but is that the way it is or do we need to be thinking about it a different way? And today our topic is, is the Bible anti-women and misogynistic? Wow, I know, that sounds so fun, doesn't it? It's misogynistic, it's one of those words I never really use that in just conversation. So I have to think every single time, how do you say it? And then what does it mean? So it means feeling, showing, or characterized by hatred or prejudice against women. What a, what a topic for Mother's Day, right? But I have to tell you, um, I've been a follower from, of Jesus since I was about 12 years old, and that was a long time ago. And when I began following Jesus, I heard that Christians are supposed to read the Bible. So for me, I learn from reading. It's one of the primary ways that I learn. And so I picked up a Bible God's word to us, and I began to read it. And like any book, you're supposed to start at the beginning, right, and read it till the end. That's the way I read a book. I don't skip a lot of parts. So I began reading the scriptures. And I've read them through many times in my life now. And what I have to tell you is there are sections that feel like God doesn't really like women. Or if God likes them, then there's a whole lot of men that don't like women or females. There are parts in that are, that are very confusing. Parts where it says, you know, if a woman is raped, the solution to that is for her to marry her rapist. Ah, yikes, that doesn't sound right. There are places in the Old Testament where women are not allowed to own property where there are men who have multiples and multiples of wives, where ceremonially after a, a woman gives birth to a male child, 
She has to withdraw herself, isolate for seven days, but female child, well, let's do it for 14, because you know, you don't want a female child. Not only in the scriptures, but in the New Testament too, in the Old Testament scriptures, but in the New Testaments too, there's those verses about wives submitting to their husbands, about women not being able to speak in worship services, in church services. So what is that all about? It feels sometimes like, yes, the Bible is anti-women. And then I grew up in the South in the 70s in a Southern Baptist church where no one really told me that I wasn't as good as the men, but it just seemed that way because women were not up front. They couldn't teach. They weren't called pastors. Um, They were directors. The only time I would see a, a female up front was usually to sing a solo where the male choir director was guiding and leading her. So even though I wasn't told that I wasn't as good, it felt that way at times. And so we're going to look at this today, and we're going to say, what does God's word say? What's in there, what's not in there, and how should we look at it? So if you would pray with me, please. Father God, we thank you that we can come before you with our questions. We can come before you with our concerns and our fears and and our anger. But as we do that, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to the things that you want to say back to us. I pray that all of us here in the room, online, in the tent, all of us would say, what do you want to say about the female gender? And we would pay attention to what you are saying, not to what the world says to us. We thank you that coming before you is possible because of Jesus, and we pray in his precious name, amen. So we're going to look at three different areas. We're going to look at how women are treated in the beginning at creation, how some individual women are treated in the Bible by God, and how Paul treats women in the early church. So we're going to start out in the beginning, how we should start out. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and this is what these verses say. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So in the beginning, what can we see? Well, we can see that the Imago Dei that we often talk about, the image of God that he has placed into humans was placed in both male and female from the very beginning. 
It doesn't matter what your gender is, what your color is, where you live, what your language is. You all, the, the presence, the image of God has been placed within you, within you, the human race. God also gave them the same mission and responsibility. It doesn't say in this beginning, males, you do this, females, you do this. No, he says that they are to be fruitful and increase in number and subdue the earth. That is their both of their pur purpose and responsibility. So in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God's original design is very short and simple and very clear. It's that males and females were created equal and at the same purpose. So if that's true, then what about all that other stuff that we hear about, you know, woman was created second and she came from Adam's rib and where is all that? Well, just move on to Genesis chapter two and we'll find out some of that. Now, Genesis chapter two is creation story. God is giving us the, the framework for how he did creation and he created the animals and when he created humans and so forth. And chapter two is not different from that. It's just a little bit more expanded version. He gives a little bit more of the idea of what he had in design there at that time. So what do we see in Genesis chapter two? Verses 18, we start. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So if you don't like the names, guess who gets the blame? So man gave the names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. See, Genesis chapter 1 doesn't say that he, he formed man and woman at the exact same time. Just that his image was in both of them. So what do we see in this? Well, what I can tell you is this. God was not surprised. <gasps> oh my gosh, the bird is not a super, suitor, suitable helper for Adam. I need to find something else. He wasn't surprised by that. It wasn't like he goofed up because there was no helper, helper. I don't even like that word, so I can't even say it. For Adam. No, this was God's design and plan all along. That's what he had designed for us. This was his plan for man and woman to go together. Okay, so what about that word I can't even say? Adam's helper. That does sound a little demeaning, doesn't it? It does sound a little secondary, inferior, not the same, not equal. That word that's used there, the Hebrew word, is the word etzer. It's pronounced etzer. And it's used multiple times in the Old Testament, over 20 times. And this is how it's used in other places. 
Psalm 33:20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 121:1. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Same exact word that's used in Genesis chapter two. So the God, the creator, the sustainer, the the savior is a helper. He is a helper to us in our times of need. And I call out to him, God, help me. And that's the same word that's used of woman for man. So, I don't know, ladies, being in the same category as God, that's a pretty good category to be in, isn't it? And the one who needs help, I'm just saying, I don't know, but God is not inferior, and so woman is not inferior. The rib language actually at other places is translated side for two sides of the temple or two sides of a worship center. One is not better than the other or inferior. They're complementary. They're together that make the whole. And that's the same word that's used for rib in Genesis chapter two. See, Adam and Eve aren't identical but they were created equal, both necessary for the whole. And that's the way God created us. That's the beginning. That's his design. That's his purpose. In the Garden of Eden, when everything was perfect and God walked and talked with Adam and Eve, that was what he designed. And it has been messed up all the way since Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve chose to go their own way and not God's way. And from that, there has actually been, that's the start of when males and females began to have all of this dissension and conflict and confusion about what it looks like and superiority. It's all outside of God's design. There's a hint of what it's going to look like, Genesis chapter 3, when, when what we call the curse, when God says this is what's going to happen for males and females because of sin. There's, there's a verse in 3.16 says, your desire, women, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I do know this. It's not just for husbands and wives. It's for all women all of all time that we have been placed now because of the patri- patriarchal societies that have developed since this time where we oftentimes are abused around the world. You, know, you, you see this of young girls and women abused, subjugated, put in a place of infer- inferiority, even to where female babies are killed at birth because you need male babies to carry on the name, to carry on the tradition. We, that is not God's design. 
It is not God's plan. In the Bible and in the history of the world up to this point, there's been a tendency for women to be in that place. But we can see that in the beginning, God created male and female in his image and gave them the same mission and responsibilities from Genesis 1 and 2. So let's move on to see, okay, how does then God treat women in the Bible? I'm going to start with the Old Testament first, and I'm just going to give you the names of a few women and how God treated them. Hagar was an Egyptian slave. She was a slave to Sarah, and she was given to Abraham because they needed an heir, and they didn't have one. And she gave birth to Ishmael, the son of Abraham, but he was not the promised one of God. God was not going to use him to create the the nation of Israel. So she was sent off, and two times God personally steps in and saves her and her son, and in Genesis 16, 13, she says this of God, he gave me the name, he gave this name, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. Hagar says, you are the God who sees me, you know me, you know my name. Deborah, Judges 4 and 5, Judges 4, 4 says, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. Judges, that was the leader during that season, and Deborah was the judge, not because there were no men, her husband was a man, but because God chose her. She was a judge, a prophet, a military leader for the nation of Israel, the people of God. If you want to discount her, then you have to discount Samson and Gideon and all the other judges that God chose. What about Esther, the book of Esther? She, after the captivity, she was there uh, to help save the nation. And famous words are spoken of her. Such a time as this. Esther, maybe you were born for such a time as this. There's others like Moses' sister, Miriam, and Ruth. There's multiples of women that are named in the Old Testament scriptures. I have to say, I wish there were more. The majority of the stories revolve around men. But we have to know and understand too, it was a patriarchal world. It was a male world. And God, most of the time, doesn't step in and change everything. He works within the culture of the world. So what about the New Testament? You'll find Jesus, God, who came to earth. How did he treat women? Now, there are no women named as one of the 12 apostles. Again, a patriarchal society And Jesus worked within that society. So what did he do in that society? There were women that were disciples all over the place. There were women disciples of Jesus. Followed him, learned from him. There was one Samaritan woman in John 4 who no man would speak to her in public, but Jesus stops and he asks for for a cup of water 
and he actually reveals himself as the Messiah to her when he does very rarely does that. And then there's the sisters, Mary and Martha. You'll see them in multiple places, but in Luke 10, Jesus is in their home often, their brother Lazarus too. But there's a time when he's there and he's teaching and Martha comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, make my sister Mary get up from sitting at your feet learning and help me with all the women things, food preparation and so forth. And what does Jesus say? He says, Martha, Martha, only one thing is needed to eat. But Mary has chosen the better way, sitting at my feet as a disciple learning from me, which is where the men would have been. He allowed her to be there and encouraged her. And then finally, one of the women, Mary Magdalene, who was in the garden when he was resurrected, and she was the first recorded person that he spoke to. And he told Mary to go and tell the others, I've resurrected. See, Jesus elevated in his culture and in his day, he elevated and lifted women to the place that they could learn and follow him and be his disciple. Dorothy Sayers, the first woman to receive a degree from Oxford, is, uh, was a devoted follower of Jesus. And she says this, Perhaps it is no wonder that the women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this. There had never been such another, a prophet and teacher who never nagged at them, never flattered or coaxed or patronized, who never made arch jokes about them, who never treated them as either the women, God help us, or the ladies, God bless them who rebuked without demeaning and praised without constant condensation, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no ax to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend. No wonder the women followed Jesus. And he allowed them to. We see throughout the scripture, we find God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament treating women with dignity and respect, even choosing them to lead and to be his disciples. So now to Paul, who is the one who affects most of our thinking about marriage and about women in leadership in the church. Now, Paul wrote many letters to New Testament churches. <coughs> Excuse me. And he was one of the, <coughs> he was one of the early followers of, of Jesus. And um, most of our New Testament, other than the gospels, comes from Paul. So what does Paul have to say? And how does he treat women? So let's look first at Romans, the book of Romans. Now, Romans 
is a letter to the church in Rome, but it's one of the most theological and, and least personal of any of the letters. If you read it, there's just such depth in there about sin and Christ being the the Savior and the only way and how faith in Christ is what matters. So he has all of this theology in Romans, but at the end, he has some personal things to say. Now, most of his letters have more personal things throughout where he'll name people and so forth. But in Romans, it's all at the end. And when, if you were to open to what we call chapter 16, this is what you would find at the end of this letter to the church in Rome. I commend you to you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Caesarea, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So the first person he names in this book is Phoebe. It's, under, it's the same idea that most of the time, the people that are named towards the end, it's the one who is going to bring the letter to that place. So mo, a lot of historians think Phoebe is the one that brought the letter. And Paul is recommending her to this church in Rome and saying, please honor her. They also, it would be the sense that the person that brought the letter would be the one that would be able to help explain it if anybody had questions and so forth from because Paul's not there. So that's the thought of who Phoebe is. Second verse, verse three actually. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So next people named Priscilla the wife and Aquila the husband. We'll see, you see them in Acts. They were early church teachers, but the order of the names in the New Testament was very important. The first would be the main leader and then the others follow. So in Acts, when Paul is early on in his ministry, he was helped by Barnabas. Barnabas taught him. So you would see the names listed Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, or Barnabas and Saul, his earlier name, Barnabas and Paul. Then it flips, Paul and Barnabas, because Paul becomes the leader, the more trained, the the more um, one that goes out to the Gentile churches. So the order that is placed there is, they think is probably because Priscilla would have been the teacher and they would work together, of course. But think about it this way. Most of you would say, Steve and Dana, Steve and Dana, because you look at Steve as your leader and teacher and have more experience with him. But if, if you had known me first and I had helped you, that I had been a part of your life and, and we had grown together and so forth, you might say, Dana and the bald guy. Don't even really know who he is. See, the order matters, and Priscilla came first. Then there's many other women that are named in here, and there's also talked about how Junia was a fellow Jew who had been in prison with him. So some women were even in prison because of their faith. So that's how Paul treats women. 
But then we have the struggle because we know these other verses about Paul. We're just gonna concentrate on two little sections. The first is 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. Ouch. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit her to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. That would mean I shouldn't be up here. And that may be what it means. But I think there are some other options too. And just as we have learned over this series about how not to read the Bible, there's two things that are two of four, but these two are ones that we, we had come back to over and over again to say, what are the scriptures, what are they teaching? What are they telling us? And those are, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. Meaning, yes, it's for us, it's, it's our guide and direction. We can get all kinds of things from the Bible. But it wasn't written to me, Dana, in 2021. It was written in the culture and the day and what was going on for wherever it, what it was written to. 1 Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth. 1 Timothy was written by Paul to Timothy, the pastor in the church in Ephesus. So it was written for us, but not to us. And secondly, verses are a single part of a larger story. When you just take one verse and pull it out or one or two verses or one little section and pull it out from the whole larger story, there's usually issues with that. You have to know what else is going on around it. What's the culture of the day? What is it written? Why is it being written? What is God trying to say? So I just want to present some other thoughts about these two sections very briefly. I'm going to just briefly go over these with some other ideas. 1 Corinthians 14 is in the context of a section of scripture that is about spiritual gifts and how they're used in the worship services. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say that women do not have spiritual gifts or even the same spiritual gifts as men. But in this church, there's some issues going on and Paul is trying to address it. And in the middle of 12, 13, and 14 is 1 Corinthians 13 about love. But in 14, there's a sense that there's the disruption in the service for different things. But perhaps women who had not been allowed to be taught or trained or have education are now for the first time being in, were allowed to be in the same room in worship services, not a separate part of the temple with the men and they have questions maybe really good questions. And they're blurting them out in the service and wanting to get answers, perhaps. When you look at the context and the culture and what's going on, and the, also the way Paul treats women in other places, it's not that he does not want them to learn. Maybe he just does not want them to interrupt the service and to ask their questions at other times. First Timothy 2, 
There's also a specific context. And if you read this, the verse says a woman. Before it, it says women. After it says women. But it switches here to a woman. Maybe there is a particular woman. Maybe, maybe not. But there are some really confusing things about 1 Timothy 2. But we take this one couple of verses out and we say, no, these are very clear. I'm really not trying to convince you about whether women should preach or be elders or or be leaders in the church. That's something you have to, to discern yourself. But I'm just wanting you to see that there could be other possibilities than directly that never, ever, for all time, should women speak in church or be a leader of a man. A few references for you if you want to study this passage, these passages further. Steve gave a message in the fall of 2017 called Moving Forward, the Role in, of Women in Leadership. And you could go back and, and read that, listen to that. Or we have a position paper on women in ministry on our website. There's also a meaty book I, I found, and th- you might want to try some of the podcasts, but it's called Paul and Gender by Cynthia Long Westfall. It has a lot of this cultural things in there, that things that we really don't understand about the culture and a lot of study going on. But what I will say is this. If you look at the overall story of the Bible and what Jesus says, that leaders serve. They put on the towel and they get down and they serve and wash feet. And he also says the first will be last and the last first. Did I say that right? The last will be first. Whatever, you you guys know what I'm talking about. And that is a picture not of dominance, not of demanding honor, not of, of trying to put the women down and saying, no, you're just trying to grab the power. No, it's that leadership is love and service, and that's the way Jesus did it. So we see that although some passages, Paul's letters, seem to imply that women are less than men, These are not consistent with how he treats women or how his Savior Jesus does. So I'd like to close with just challenging you, all of you, not just the men, but the women, the girls, the boys. I want to challenge you to think about how do you support and encourage the females in your life? Because even now, in 2021, throughout the world, females are subjugated, abused, taken advantage of, not elevated to positions because they're only female. I just like you to think about what role are you taking? in going back to the beauty of God's original intent and design where male and female were created together. See, Cynthia Westfall says, humans who were created to rule together in unity 
became divided in hostility and embedded in patterns of oppression, which, according to the creation account, started with male and female and extended to groups such as Jews, Gentiles, slaves, and free persons. Through Jesus Christ, God is reversing the fall, tearing down the dividing walls, and bringing eternal life by being all in all. I encourage you to be a part with Jesus Christ to reverse the fall and allow everyone to see how they have been created in the image and are loved by God. So I want to end this way. And it may make some of the females in the room uncomfortable, but I'm going to ask you to be a little uncomfortable. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. And Steve's going to join me on stage so that the males in the room can speak a blessing over us. And we can be reminded of the things that Scripture actually say about us. So if you are able, I invite the females, no matter what age, to go ahead and stand. And Steve is going to join us. Guys. Try again. Sorry. One of my pet peeves is somebody turns off the mic. (laughs) Okay, guys, read with me aloud, speaking this blessing over. If if some women are with you that are a part of your life, you can speak it over them. If not, you can speak it over the gals in this room and say it loud enough. If you're online or in the tent, I invite you to do that too. Gals, I hope you're standing. And guys, that you'll read with us out loud and speak these blessings, words of blessing. Ready, guys? Women, young ladies and girls, we bless you in the name of Jesus. You are made in the image of God. You are his masterpiece, not defective or less than. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has bestowed on you immeasurable worth and value. You are worthy of dignity and respect. God knew you and created you purposely and intentionally before the world came into being. He has deposited within you unique gifts, talents, passions, interests, and personality. There is no one like you. He has called you to be a co-laborer in the garden of his world. You are called, you are equipped, you are empowered by his spirit living within you. He has a plan and destiny for your life. May you hear his voice above all others and follow him wherever he may lead you. Amen.